Amen. Thank you, Daryl. All right. How's everyone doing today? Good. Welcome off the hilltop. I'm excited and uh, provoked in my spirit and excited to share with you the word this morning. Um, I, I believe it's, it's very timely, uh, this word in Acts chapter 8, uh, for what our community has gone through for the last couple of months. So I'm excited to share. I pray the Lord will give you insight, and I pray that um, you would feel the weight of his presence um, continue to increase as we, as we go on through the message. Um, how many of you guys were here last Sunday? Amen. That's great. Well, if you guys were here, Bethany preached an amazing message. Pedro, can you take the bass out of this mic? Thank you. Bethany preached an amazing message on the life of Stephen um, in Acts chapter 6 and 7. And I just feel it's only fitting that I just do, a, not, not that it needs a recap, but just a small summary of what took place in Acts chapter 7 to really give us an understanding about what God has done in Acts chapter 8. But if you haven't uh, heard the message, I encourage you to go online and dial it up. It's awesome. So basically, Acts chapter 7, right? Stephen is on the scene, a man full of the Holy Spirit, and he's addressing a group of religious leaders, namely the Sanhedrin. And essentially, the Sanhedrin were a group of people that, that was uh, directed by God unto Moses and the Israelites to create a court of judges and, and courts that would rule all the people of Israel. So Stephen is addressing these people, and he's taking them through Jewish history. He's talking to them about uh, the promise of Abraham. He's talking to them about these different points in history where they have ignored, resisted, or completely just gone away from the Holy Spirit. And essentially, at the end of his speech, he calls the Sanhedrin, he says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears who always resist the Holy Spirit just like your ancestors. That's strong language. That's boldness. And so Stephen, basically, if you can just imagine, he's, he's, he's facing these leaders. And as they start to hear him talk about these things, they become angry, almost like rage just fills them up. And they start to rush Stephen. They start to stone him, yelling at him, and, and almost celebrating his death. And Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, looks to heaven and sees the Lord seated in the heavens and actually asks for the Lord to forgive them for what they're getting ready to do. And Stephen becomes the first martyr that we see in our Christian faith in Scripture. It's an amazing story. I would encourage you to go back and actually look through Scripture. There's a lot there and actually a lot that we can learn about the life of Stephen. And I believe that God is actually calling us in some way in this church all to be like Stephen, to be bold about our faith, even in the midst of persecution. And so as we continue the story, we're going to look at Acts chapter 8 today. And the reason why I want to go through that history of Acts chapter 7 is because now what's taking place in the church is very interesting and unique. And I think it's something that God wants to do and is doing in this community. So Acts chapter 8 begins, and essentially the church and Jesus' followers that were in Jerusalem, that were undergoing persecution, they witnessed the persecution of Stephen, and now they're continuing to be persecuted by Saul. They're breaking out in power. I mean, the church, is you talk about church growth. Church is busting off of the seams. You can't fit people into a room. And they're experiencing the tangible manifest presence of the Lord, something that we all desire to see today in our midst. So let's look at Acts chapter 8, and let's, let's go through the story here of what's taking place. I'm going to be reading from verse 1 starting out. So it says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned for him deeply. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. 
Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. Say joy. joy. Say it again. Say joy. Doesn't that word just roll off your tongue so nicely? Joy. Amen. Now, this is interesting because this is the same church that has just witnessed one of their own, probably a devout brother in their, in their church, stoned for his faith. But yet, this church, instead of being demoralized, instead of being down in heart, downcast, I'm sure they mourned, they're now breaking out in power throughout Judea and Samaria. These are people that are now likened to refugees. They're leaving their families. They're leaving their houses. And now they're pursuing distant lands. And they're preaching the gospel with joy. Wow. Amazing. You know, I'm sure many of you can relate that whenever we go through difficult times, right, whenever there's a hard pressing of our life, we feel like there's a grind where, where things are out of our control, right? I'm sure many of you can relate that these times are difficult, right? I don't, I don't want to belittle the difficulty of these times. But one thing I can say with certainty is that these things and these times always produce something in our heart that's so much greater, right? Sometimes it awakens things that we've forgotten, like courage, compassion. Sometimes it awakens an intimacy with the Lord that we haven't had before. And we really start to seek him. You know, it's funny. Well, not funny, actually. But it's interesting that whenever people die, people that have never acknowledge the presence of God, people that have never desired to enter into his presence or would, would vocalize that, that they always ask for a chaplain to come up on their deathbed. Have you guys ever noticed that? They always like, can I have a chaplain? Always, whenever they're on the verge of death, things are getting real. They're taking a real stock of their priorities of life. And they say, man, I, I think now it's time. It's so interesting that the poor amongst us, that poor in society are actually some of the most happiest people that we've ever seen. They have so much joy and they have so little. Why is that? Have you guys ever began to ponder these questions in your heart? Why is it that when people undergo such persecution that they can actually experience joy? And I believe ultimately that that is a result of the marking of the Holy Spirit. I believe that the Holy Spirit gives us the ability that while we're being persecuted, while we're being hard-pressed, while things aren't going our way, he gives us a perspective that is far different than the world, that we're able to see, see in, in the future. Basically, they say prophecy is, this. prophecy is the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of things to come. It testifies of what he's getting ready to do. And whenever the Holy Spirit is now upon the church, instead of them being upset about Stephen, I'm sure they were upset, now they have a perspective and they're saying, you know what, we're going to preach the gospel in joy. And a couple of things I want to note about this scripture, especially as we start to look at the response that some of the onlookers had with Stephen. One thing you notice is that Stephen is celebrated, not blamed. You don't see anywhere in Acts chapter 8 that people are like, man, that's Stephen. He's a hothead because he's the cause, right? Stephen decides to get up and not just to address any group of people, the Sanhedrin, for crying out loud. That's like if you had a an issue, right, with, with I don't know, with, with, uh, with someone in your school, and instead of just addressing students, you decide to go before the board and the faculty and make this speech. That's essentially what Stephen does, 
right? And I can just imagine if we were back in those days, many of us would probably say, Stephen, what in the world are you doing? You're making it difficult for us. We have something good here. The church is great. This isn't a bad church. This is the church in Jerusalem that God is pouring out his spirit on. But they didn't say that. We don't see that in Scripture. We don't see people complaining about Stephen. We don't see people upset. We don't see people saying, Stephen, surely you could have found less inflammatory ways to defend the gospel. Actually, what we see is something different. In verse 2, can you pull verse 2 up? It says this. It says, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. They were in anguish that their brother had died. And actually, they went to bury him. And this says something about the character and nature of the community that Stephen was in. Because they saw fit, even as Stephen has just endured, or not endured, actually, as he just has gone through persecution, they saw fit to say, you know what? Regardless of what has just happened with our brother, he is due honor. And we're going to bury him, risking persecution themselves. How many of us would do that for each other in this place? You want to talk about community? I want to challenge you. You want to talk about you really desiring the Holy Spirit? You know what desiring the Holy Spirit looks like? It doesn't look like you simply just asking for revival. It looks like you devoting yourself to people around you. And that's what these, these people in the church of Jerusalem did. They were devout to each other. Even while persecution is happening by Saul, he's going into rooms, he's tearing up communities. They are devoted to one another. And what do we see as a result of that? The breaking out of the Holy Spirit to Judea and Samaria. And then we see joy being released. It's amazing. Another point I want to make is Saul, being a man of, a, of astute wisdom, is going out and terrorizing the community, trying to put an end to this. And actually Saul, back in verse chapter 7, was actually one that, that the witnesses of Stephen's martyrdom, they were throwing their coats at Saul's feet, almost like a, a cheerleader, like a pepper rally, like, Saul, good job, we're doing it, we're killing the Christians. But Saul, weeks later, would go on to be one of the most profound, influential writers that we've ever had in our Christian faith. Isn't that crazy? That who saw persecuting Christians, kind of like the coach for the other team. God has now supernaturally visited him and using him profoundly to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. One thing I want to say to you is we can't be so quick to write off people around us. We can't be so quick to, to be offended and then just block relationships from people around us. See, we're so apt, and it's so easy for us to identify Judas's around us. We'll say, oh, man, this person, they're trying to sell me, man. They're trying to sell me out, bro. I know it. I see it in your face, man. But how many of us would actually have the opposite thought of saying, man, you know what? This is a Saul right now. You got some issues, brother. I'm going to call it out. Call it like it is. You're crazy. But I'm praying that God would use you supernaturally to touch your Judea and Samaria. And that actually takes the work of the Holy Spirit. This is no easy thing. I'm not, I'm not getting up here telling you nice bedtime stories. This is hard. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is difficult. But the thing is, what the, the, the goal of these eight scriptures is that God uses persecution and suffering to shake up comfort, test authenticity, and to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. If it weren't for the persecution that the church in Jerusalem went through, how would the gospel have been spread? How would they have reached Judea and Samaria? How would they have reached the Gentiles? And oftentimes we think when God is redirecting us, right, when, 
I love when Bethany talks about delay because many of us experience that. When we're experiencing delay or God is redirecting our life or changing our paradigm of what we expected to happen because we had our own expectation, sometimes we get so down in heart and then our hope gets deferred because our hope wasn't in Christ. Our hope was in some plan of happening. That's why the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick because if your hope is in a, a situation and not in Christ, man, you're doomed. You're doomed. And I can't help but draw the parallel to what God has been doing in our community with this change of venue. You know, a worldly person could say, man, oh, man, I wonder if Daryl's going to sweat today. I wonder, I wonder if, if Will's going to hit the high note. And we're so focused on these temporal things that have no value. And you know what happens? It's funny, I know, but the sad thing that happens is we come here and we miss the Holy Spirit. God has offered so much for us here of value and experience. And because we're so focused on these temporal aspects, oh, man, the parking, oh, ooh, wah. We're so focused on these. But yet God is looking to pour out his spirit, and we're not even seeing it. So we're our own biggest impediment. But we see something different here in the church is that they actually, I think, they have wind of what God is going to do. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has been poured out and they've received the Holy Spirit. And now they're working in partnership with the Holy Spirit. So what seems like a change in the delay is no delay because they're following the Holy Spirit. You see, there's no delay when you're following the Holy Spirit. There's no, a change of plan is happening because you're in the will of God. You're following stride. So I want to challenge you. I know many of us have experienced hard times in this place. I know many of us have experienced redirection or delay. But we can't be so quick just to write off these things as failures. Oh, it's not working. I'm not doing it right. Oh, they're doing something wrong there. What? What a carnal mindset that is. We need the Holy Spirit to think differently. We need the Holy Spirit. If you are in this place today and you have the thought that you can do and live your life effective for the gospel without the Holy Spirit, you're wrong. Because you know why? He said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that you will receive power to make you my bold witnesses. If we want to be bold for Christ, man, it's about time we, we start asking for power. It's about time we start submitting ourselves to one another, devoting ourselves to one another. I want to challenge you that when you feel offended, when you feel like your life and people don't understand, they don't get me, man. Like they don't get you, right? They don't get my, my thing that I got to offer, man. I want to challenge you that if you are really devoted to the Holy Spirit, you really want an outpouring, you want revival, start to submit yourselves to one another. Man, this church will grow like crazy. Man, we'll start to see signs and wonders like you won't even believe. But it, it, it really requires our heart posture to be right with the Lord. So as we go on here, we can see a couple of things that persecution, that God actually uses persecution and has to unto the Great Commission, unto the spreading of the gospel. Now, I don't want to be naive here to say persecution is the only way that God spreads the gospel, but I think in Scripture it's clear that it is a, a very strong way, and, a, and I would say a prevalent way that he uses to spur us on, to wake us up out of comfort. See, whenever hard times hit, it's almost like, man, you, you get hit, and you're like, oh, man, I need, to, I need to straighten up my life. I need to get things right, man. Whenever things happen to me and my wife, I'm like, ooh, I need to take stock of my heart. There's things that I have left untended. Another thing we could see is that Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem was a good church, that they were doing good. They were reaching their village. 
But ultimately, God had spoken in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that his desire and intention was for them to go to Judea and Samaria and the, and the outermost parts of the world. And so we can see in Scripture that God will oftentimes take the thing that he has prized, a, a person after his own heart, a community after his own heart, and relocate them unto the fulfillment of his word. And I believe that's what God is doing here. I can so see it so strongly, so strongly. I believe that, you know, while we were at the Marriott, man, we were comfortable. All of us, we were, oh, here we going to church today, okay. Hey, how you doing, brother? How's everything going? But now that we got to move, it's like, oh, you got to put in something different in your GPS and, you know, find it's like, oh, this is so hard. And this is, this is not even close to the level of severity of persecution that the church in Acts went through. But I do believe that God is using this as an example and as a scenario for us to pursue greater things, to pursue the spirit, and to devote ourselves to each other more. So how many of you guys are familiar with the grafting process, what grafting in means, what grafting is? Raise your hand, you science students. There you are. I know you're here. Essentially what grafting is is when we take a plant, right, and we cut off a piece of it, right, and we take that piece and we, we connect it to the rootstock of another plant and we wrap them together and then they start to grow and bud together and become one and bear much fruit. It's a great process. That's what Jesus has done for me and you in this place. You have been, today, this morning, if you are in Christ, you have been grafted into a family. God has separated you from the fruit of, of, of humanity, which is sin, into his family so that we would have everlasting life, which is what he paid for at the cross with Jesus. He's grafted us into that. But I can just imagine that, you know, if we were just to take a moment and, in cartoon land and, and just think about a tree for a second. If a tree could speak to us, if that tree particularly could speak to us, I'm sure the tree would say, man, what in the world are you doing, bro? Like, why are you cutting off my fruit? Like, the whole reason you planted me is because you wanted me to grow, right? Why are you cutting off my fruit? Why are you changing the process now, right? Why are you removing this piece of me in, or, in order to plant it to this other plant that seems less than? And essentially, God's desire and the farmer's desire in that scenario is that he would see much fruit, right? And what seems and feels like pruning at the time is just getting ready for a bigger harvest. The whole reason why farmers prune is so that the plant would bear more fruit. The whole reason why God pruned you is so that you would bear more fruit. The whole reason why you go through persecution is so that you would bear more fruit. So the gospel will be preached to the ends of the earth. So that people around you, through your situation, now you have a testimony. Scripture says we're saved by two things, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. How are you to have a testimony if you, if you haven't undergone, through, go, gone through something difficult? How are you to share the gospel? How are you to even relate? God often does these things in our life. Why? To make us effective. To use us. He wants to use you. So if you are in this place today and you feel like you're undergoing the, the disciplining of the Lord, Man, rejoice. He's getting ready to use you. He's getting ready to bust you out. Give praise to him for that. So we have to be careful because persecution is not to be naively celebrated. I get it. Sometimes persecution causes wounding. It causes apostasy. It causes people to fall away. I'm, I'm not trying to minimize that point. The point I'm trying to make here is that in our lives, we are not to, to dismiss the way that the master and the creator of all creation uses these things to wake us up, uses these things to expand his church, to bring joy, faith, and blessing to the outside and to the outer banks of the world. A couple things I want to point out here. One is that Stephen was honored 
not blamed. They did not blame Stephen for his speech. They honored him because he was preaching the gospel. The same message that Stephen preached of the gospel of Jesus was the very message that they decided to preach as they were being exiled from their land. The same message that has caused them pain and affliction was the same message of Christ that they decided to preach with power that caused, in verse 8, joy to fill cities. That when the Spirit of God comes and works in your heart in such a way, there is joy. That it's, it's an unusual joy that begins to fill situations. I, mean, I can tell you about times where even I can remember in my adolescence where I was either going through a difficult time with family or experiencing a personal difficulty. And I took time to inquire of the Lord. I took time to ask the Lord for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And I can, I can remember being filled with such copious amounts of joy that my mind didn't even understand. Mind-boggling joy. Joy that will, will, will change the, the, the landscape of your emotions. Joy that will make you bold, a bold witness for Christ. And you need that joy today. You need that presence. Because without it, Man, we're confused. Without it, how is the gospel to be preached? So my prayer today is that you would receive that joy, that you would inquire of the Holy Spirit and ask him for greater things. That you wouldn't just be satisfied with just persecution, but that you would actually ask him for his perspective in the midst of persecution, that you would experience this joy. Amen? You guys awake? Some of you, I don't know, man. Some of you guys... Man. All right, let's look at, at, at verse 9, and hopefully this will wake you up, because I think this is a warning um, <laughs> in Scripture. So pay attention to this. So Simon is a sorcerer, and Philip is going, continuing to preach the gospel. He's going to Samaria, and many people uh, or scholars say that this part piece of Samaria was actually the same part that Jesus went to in John chapter 4, when he was encountering the woman at the well, at Jacob's well. And so it's just interesting, it's, it's, it's cool that, you know, a couple years later, here Philip is preaching the gospel to these Samaritans. Um, so Philip's preaching the gospel to Samaritans, he's demonstrating empower, signs and wonders, demons are being cast out of people, the lame are walking, everyone's being healed, and the Samaritans are seeing this and they're going, whoa. Now, a couple of weeks before that, Simon is going around, He's a magician doing magic tricks. He's, he's, he's making the people see that he, they, they're calling him a great power, right? They're saying, oh, man, this Simon guy is cool. So he's, he's doing his little magic tricks, and he's getting a following. So people are following Simon because they, they see that he's doing great things. Now, when Simon starts to see Philip on the scene, he goes, whoa. He realizes two things. The first thing that he realizes about Philip is the power that Philip has is greater than mine. And the second thing he realizes about Philip is that the power that he has is real. I want that power. And so let's pick up the story here in, in verse 18, if you can go there with me in your Bibles. It says, when Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered the money and said, give me this ability also so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part, no share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. And he says this, he says, repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. 
for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Now let's stop there for a little bit. Let's just think about this for a moment. Let's think about the context of what's happening. Philip, he's preaching a true gospel. Signs and wonders. People are getting baptized into the church. They're following after what Philip is saying. And here Simon comes along and he goes, hmm, man, Philip, Philip has quite a following here. If I could just get that power, man, what would that mean for me? What would that mean for me and what I'm doing here? I want that same power. And so Simon decides, yeah, man, let me, let me see. I got $3 here. Um, I'm going to give you, can, can I buy this? Can I have some of this? And I love, the, I love the directness of the apostles. Peter is angry. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, didn't you? I could just imagine himself like, didn't you just get baptized? And now you want to somehow try to buy this gift of the Lord? And the issue here, I think, is an issue of disingenuous faith. I think it's an issue to argue that Simon's conversion in Acts chapter 8 wasn't a true conversion. Simon was just worried. He was just caught up in awe. But nothing of his heart was pointed and directed to Jesus. Nothing of his posture gave us the indication that he was repentant for his sin of practicing witchcraft, essentially. All Simon was, was worried about was the thing, but he missed the person. He was worried about the miracle, but he missed the encounter with the miracle maker. Jesus wants to pour out his spirit, yes, on you. Yes, desire spiritual gifts. Yes, desire an outpouring. Yes, desire revival. All great things. But if we desire these things, absent from a relationship with him, absent from our heart being repentant, we have a disingenuous faith. Do you hear me this morning? Because, I, I mean, we see it in our culture so many times. We're so instant gratification, Instagram, do it for the gram, Facebook posting. We want it, man. We want the thing. We want people to like us. We want people to see us. We want people to think that, man, we're good Christians. Man, did, did you see what I just did? Bro, I'm walking with the Lord. But if we are doing these things, Without an authentic conversion happening in our heart. Guys, the Lord is not pleased with that. Matthew talks about this. When, when many people come up to the Lord and say, Lord, man, let me go back here. Lord, August 26, man, I healed the sick. Yes, I did. Oh, Lord, actually, January 4th, that layman, he's walking. Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to enter in Jesus. And Jesus, with disgust looks at them and says, depart from me. You workers of lawlessness, he says, I never knew you. That's a head scratcher. That's crazy. These are people raising the dead, doing Philip-esque type of wonders. But he says, depart from me. You never were intimate with me. You never were acquainted with my Holy Spirit. Guys, God wants something so much more for us in this place. That he's not looking just to create these shows around and, and have things happen and, and then say, oh, yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, do the same thing. No, he's looking for authentic relationship. He's looking for partnership. He's looking to take you and graft you into his family. He's looking to activate you unto the nations and the gospel being preached. He's looking to do this. So if you're in this place, I don't want you to feel discouraged. God desires to do this. 
but it's only God that can do this. We can't do this alone. No matter what type of program we come up with, no matter how articulate we sound, no matter how eloquent preaching is, without the Holy Spirit, it's void. It's vanity. Do you see that this morning in the text? We need the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it without him. And Simon's biggest downfall was that he was just focused on the sign. And he wasn't focused on the direction that the sign was pointing to. It's an issue that we have. It's, this is going to sound really dumb, but it's like if you're driving down the highway, or not a highway, the street, and you see a street sign, and you say, man, whoa, look at that street sign. Dude, three colors? That is awesome. I love that. And you're just looking at the street sign. The street sign's flashing green. And you're just like, man, yeah, yellow, bro. I love that. And you totally miss the directive of the sign. It sounds silly, but that's how some of us are. We become overly infatuated with the spirit falling, but we have nothing of concern with the person of Jesus. This is a real problem that we have. And my, my prayer for you today is that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you desire the Holy Spirit to fall, that your heart would fall more in love with Jesus. That he would increase the weight of his presence, man, because we need him. That's the only way we can be bold. My heart is broken this morning because I started to even think about this playing out in my own life. Jesus, I need you. I was prepping for this message, and I was praying, and the Lord started to put on my heart, my boss, actually, at my job, and said, Matthew, have you forgotten the lost? You've just been focused on your Jerusalem. Have you forgotten these people, other people that have put around you that have not heard the gospel, how will they hear the gospel if it's not preached? I don't want to move too quickly, but there's, in, as we continue on in the scripture, Philip is, is going down to Gaza. He gets word from an angel to go to Gaza, and he encounters an Ethiopian eunuch that is actually reading Isaiah. He's reading the scripture of Isaiah, and so Philip, you know, puts on his evangelism hat, and the Holy Spirit causes him to go near to the chariot. So he's following the chariot. And this Ethiopian is reading Isaiah, and he asks him about what he's reading. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian man says, no, I don't. How can I understand if no one is explaining, if no one is preaching to me? And so Philip, with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, starts to teach him about Jesus, starts to preach the gospel to him. And the receptiveness of, the, of this Ethiopian man is amazing. So much so that as they're continuing, they see a pool of water, and the Ethiopian man goes, hey, that pool of water, can I get baptized? He's like, yeah, man, I want this. I want to be baptized into Jesus. So he gets baptized, and then what we see is that Philip disappears and actually ends up popping up somewhere else. Um, but one of the interesting things I want to point out, especially about this, is if we look at, let's look at verse 39. Verse 39, Acts 8, 39. It says, and when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. But he went on rejoicing. When the Holy Spirit falls, he brings joy. You need joy this morning. Some of you, I can see on your faces right now. You look so angry at me. If you would just learn to lift up those corners of your mouth, man. Get ready, world. A lot would change. But it's okay if you're not happy. You need this. This is what you need. This is what the Lord wants to do in you this morning. I believe it. And I want to focus in on another thing. If we look at actually the reception 
of the Holy Spirit of the Samaritans is very different in, in Acts 8, verse 14. Let's go there real quick. So it says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for, for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of Jesus, of Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to argue theology with you today on whether the, val- the validity of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But one thing I do, I just want to just point to this text. It's Bible. It's in the Word. There was a second decisive receiving of the Holy Spirit. These were believers. These are people that accepted Jesus. They were baptized into the name of Jesus. But yet the apostles saw fit to send Peter and John to lay hands that they might receive something more, greater, a greater measure of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And so a lot of us in Western Christianity, we have this thought that, oh, yeah, you know, I kind of know Jesus. I I know the Spirit, and, you know, I kind of did the thing. I said the prayer. I got dunked, and I'm good. I mean, yeah, that's part of it, definitely. But I think even greater what God desires for us is greater fellowship with his Spirit. Because we can see that these apostles, they saw something missing. It's not like they didn't think that their conversion was authentic, but they saw a need to send Peter and John to impart something into the Samaritan church. Why? Because they realized that it was the Holy Spirit that granted them power to leave Jerusalem, to go to Judea, to go to Samaria, to go to the Gentiles. And they realized that these Samaritans needed the same thing in order to be sustained under the persecution of Saul. Power. Power, Holy Spirit, that's what does it. Ten steps to a better you is not going to do it for you. Sixteen steps on how to be a more effective preacher is not going to do it. I'm sorry. What's going to do is when the authentic power of the Holy Spirit falls upon your life, that's what's going to change the game. Changing the game, I mean, yeah, do all the things, absolutely. Be a devout student of the word of God. I'm not minimizing that. But I'm saying absence of the Holy Spirit. We are little effective in preaching the gospel. We are little effective in seeing true, authentic conversion around us. We are little effective in understanding the way the Lord moves and leads in redirection and delay. And so this morning, I want to pray that you would encounter the Holy Spirit. We can see it all throughout Acts. The Holy Spirit is demonstrated in their experience. There was something that was experienced in the room where he either fell or there was an expression of joy. There was an expression of this or that. But I believe this morning that you need that this morning. So if that is you in this place this morning, if you say, yeah, I desire this message is, is, is churning at my heart. I desire Holy Spirit to fall. I don't just want to be comfortable with a mere understanding of Jesus, but I want to encounter the third person of the Trinity. I want to know the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I want you to stand this morning. You don't have to be, this is not an altar call, but I just want you to stand. And what we're going to do is we're going to believe God even now. If, If there's someone standing around you and you have experienced 
Holy Spirit, I want you to just start to put your hand on them. We're going to believe that God is going to move amongst our midst, even in the situation. He's done it plenty of times. I'm just going to extend my faith right now and just believe that he's going to touch hearts, that he's going to set you free from bondage, that some of you guys need, some of you guys are facing some real hard situations, and you spend a lot of time trying to do it yourself. But I believe that God wants to break in with his spirit and to give you freedom now to break you forth, that you would be a bold witness of his. So I want you to start to pray for that person next year. I'm going to pray. Just put your hand on them. Put your hand on them right now. Say, Lord, I ask right now, God, that those that are here in this place, God, under the sound of my voice, Lord, we say we need your Holy Spirit. God, we come before you in brokenness. And Lord, we say we're sorry, God, for the times where we have just passed by, coming in church, looking to receive nothing from you, God. But, Lord, we see Scripture is evident and clear that we need your Spirit to be bold witnesses. God, we need your Spirit to understand the way you move. So, God, we're asking right now by your grace that you would break into this room, Lord, right now. I just want to increase your faith with me. God, I'm asking right now, Lord, that you would begin to break into lives. Lord, I'm asking right now, Lord, that you would shift the mundane of our understanding of you. And, God, give us a heavenly perspective in this place. Jesus, just open your mouth. Begin to ask him right now. Begin to ask him. You have to ask him yourself. You have to ask him. Say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. You have not because you asked. I just want to encourage you. Increase your expectation right now for him. God, we're asking God if there is is lameness in our bodies right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and heal it by your power. Jesus, we're asking right now for broken relationships. By the power of the Holy Spirit to be healed. God, we're asking right now, God, for those struggling with addiction to alcohol and pornography to be healed right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, just begin to lift your voice. Just begin to cry out to him. Say, God, fill me.